I have a lot today. I have a Cold War III update. I have Louisville bank shooter. I have North Carolina state rep flips and gives uh, the GOP supermajority in the North Carolina legislature. Um, what I don't have today is my partner, Jeremy. Okay, people, let's begin. Off. We have liftoff, sort of. <laughs> we have half a liftoff. Hello, everybody. Are you ready to be baited with the truth? Good. Get up because you're listening to the Truth Bait Podcast, episode 15. It's April 11th, Tuesday, April 11th. I'm Andrew Marcus, documentary filmmaker, podcaster. Uh, with me normally is Jeremy Siegel, fellow documentary filmmaker and podcaster. Uh, but today you just get me. The Truth Bay Podcast, where we deconstruct America's propaganda war and reconstruct America's cultural narrative in our image. And today it's just going to have to be in my image. Jeremy Siegel is unfortunately out uh, for health reasons. His, he is tending to uh, sick people today and is unable to record. I didn't know that he wasn't going to be able to record until late this afternoon. We kept pushing it, hoping he would be able to record. And we have now thrown in the towel on that plan. And it doesn't look like he's going to be able to record tomorrow. So that really leaves you know, one, uh, one or two options. Uh, either we uh, just don't record anything, just uh, skip today's episode, or I go ahead and run with what I had prepared. And since I spent so much time preparing it, I felt like maybe I'll go ahead and just uh, play some of what I have. I'm not going to play everything of what I have. I have a couple of things. Let's see what this is like to... to have the show go on. You're only getting half of the truth. You're only getting half truth today. Uh, but um, I figure half truth is better than no truth. So let us press on. I'm going to start with a uh, Cold War Three update. And I, for people who listened to our last episode, you know I spent a tremendous amount of time giving background and context and uh, information regarding the conflict between China and the United States, uh, uh, some history into the uh, reason that China is so upset with the United States, uh, and it all has to do with Taiwan and the uh, the promises that we made to them under the three agreements um, and uh, uh basically the United States assuring that, yes, we recognize that uh, there is one China, that the uh, that the PRC is uh, the one uh, legitimate government of China and that Taiwan is a part of China. And uh, we then have since proceeded to violate in word, deed, and spirit everything we agreed to there. Uh, uh, while uh, also, for some crazy reason, making ourselves insanely dependent on them, which would seem to be a crazy uh, 
uh, strategy for the United States to have in the long in over the long haul. But that's what we did. So uh, a big part of what I covered uh, was to to give you context in terms of China's reaction to the president of Taiwan visiting the United States and meeting with the the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. And the uh, Chinese were terribly upset about this visit. They warned the United States, do not do this. And uh, we did it anyway. Kevin McCarthy was not going to be bullied by the People's Republic of China. And he met with her, uh, the president of Taiwan. And now the blowback is beginning. I'm going to play this first clip. Um, Today's focus is... It's going to be narrower than than uh, the last episode. It's going to be shorter than the last episode. Uh, but I've, I think that I've figured out what exactly it is that the United States is doing vis-a-vis China. And it's shocking. I, I think that we are intentionally trying to provoke China into a shooting war. Now, let me, let me say that again, but let me put my tinfoil hat on. Okay, tighten it around the ears. Ow. I scraped myself. Okay. To be careful, it's sharp. Um, Yeah, you may think I'm crazy, but if you listen to these clips, see if you aren't crazy by the end of it, too. This first clip comes from a news organization called ANC, and it's out of the Philippines. And I have no idea what the bias is of this particular station, but this report sounds like it was uh, approved by the monitoring desk of the CCP. Uh, it's, it is, it's supportive of their narrative or at the very least neutral towards it. Listen to this, see if you agree. Chinese President Xi Jinping and French President Emmanuel Macron discuss trade and the Ukraine war as they meet in Guangzhou City. Xi told Macron, France is welcome to continue to participate in China's trade expos to further expand the Chinese market for its enterprises. Macron, meanwhile, said France is ready to work with China with mutual respect to sovereignty and territorial integrity. So this was a big deal because while... Uh, The United States was meeting with the president of Taiwan. Uh, President Xi of of China was meeting with Macron. He this was a full charm offensive that Xi was giving to Macron, because what Xi wants to do is drive a wedge between the United States and Europe right now. And uh, and well, let's see how it's going. China and imposed sanctions on a Taiwanese diplomat as well as two American organizations over the U.S. visit of Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen. It barred think tank Hudson Institute and the Reagan Library in California from conducting any exchanges or transactions with Chinese entities and individuals. So uh, that was another piece of the blowback. Uh, The CCP has sanctioned the Reagan Library and a number of other uh, people and another organization. Uh, They can't do business with anybody connected to China, which is actually going to be inconvenient because the Reagan Library, if I'm not mistaken, has uh, had a date booked with Mitch McConnell, and he is completely connected to the CCP, so he has to cancel that gig. These organizations had hosted Tsai during her stopovers from visits to Central Africa. China also imposed further sanctions on Xiaobi Kim, Taiwan's ambassador to the U.S., Measures include prohibiting her and her family members from entering the mainland, Hong Kong, and Macau. 
A Chinese military ship was seen moving in waters close to Taiwan as Beijing begins three days of military drills around the island nation. The ship fired a round from its deck as it sailed around Pingtan Island, China's closest point to Taiwan. The self-ruled island, meanwhile, says there are already 13 Chinese aircraft and three warships around Taiwan. In response, Taiwan's defense ministry said it would respond calmly, rationally and with a serious attitude. This is in response to Taiwanese President Tsai's meeting with U.S. House Speaker McCarthy in California. China views the self-ruled island as its own territory and has not ruled out the use of force to bring the island under its control. Okay, so now I'm going to play a clip from some, uh, a news organization called First Post. They are a news organization out of India, and you can tell from this anchor's tone, this is a much more skeptical and, I think, uh, honest and accurate reporting of what's going on. Listen to this, and then we'll talk about the whole thing. Now let's talk about something else that China seems to be disrupting. The U.S.-Europe bonhomie. French President Emmanuel Macron was in China over the... She said the U.S. Euro bonhomie, but I, I, I'm not exactly sure how she meant that. Maybe somebody, if somebody else knows, you can tell me. Now let's talk about something else that China seems to be disrupting. The U.S.-Europe bonhomie. French President Emmanuel Macron was in China over the past few days. He held talks with China Xi Jinping. He discussed the war in Ukraine and the tensions over Taiwan. But it was also a business trip, a way to get China to sign more trade agreements with France. And what was the outcome of the trip? Not too many tangibles. China refused to condemn Russia for its invasion of Ukraine. It refused to make any assurances regarding Taiwan. In fact, as soon as Macron was out of the Chinese airspace, China began its latest round of drills around the island. But both Macron and the Chinese media are hailing the trip as a huge success. Why? Because both sides believe it was a shot in the arm for European strategic autonomy. First, let's understand what that is. What is European strategic autonomy? It means that the European Union is acting independently of the US when it suits European interests. It means the EU not following America's lead in all conflicts and behaving like an independent global power. The question is, can Europe afford to do that? Also, why is Macron championing this cause? Because he doesn't want to fight with China. Remember, the U.S. has promised to defend Taiwan if China attacks. And China has promised to take Taiwan by force if needed. Now, Emmanuel Macron says Europe should not get caught up with this. Washington has labeled Beijing as its greatest threat. It is fighting trade wars with China. And all of this affects Europe too. If European companies do certain businesses with Beijing, they face American sanctions. And this also limits Europe-China trade prospects. The French president wants to change all of that. So does German Chancellor Olaf Scholz. He went to China last November to discuss trade. But it's a tough balancing act. Europe depends on the U.S. for military protection. Protection which seems imperative considering what's going on in Ukraine. So it can't really afford to anger Washington beyond a point. But Emmanuel Macron says the EU should not follow the U.S. policy everywhere, that European nations should not become American vassals because they will suffer in the event of a U.S.-China conflict. 
It's typical Europe. Remember, China overtook the U.S. as the Europe's largest trading partner in 2020. We mentioned this last week, too. Now, Europe is suffering a cost-of-living crisis, mostly because of the war in Ukraine. And China's help will be essential in getting European economies back on track. So Europe is not very keen on this whole talk of decoupling with Beijing. They are more keen on what Macron is advocating. Ignore the US and keep dealing with China. It's like having your cake and eating it too. Just under the fancy label of European strategic autonomy. Now, of course, China wants all of this to happen as well. Trade with Europe would continue to boost China's economy. It also drives a wedge between America and its traditional European allies. It's a win-win for Beijing, really. And that could explain why China ruled out the red carpet for Macron over the weekend. He was invited to tea ceremonies. He was speaking at schools and basically swarmed by a fawning Chinese audience, like a French emperor visiting the grand Chinese court. It's a stark contrast from his current predicament at home. For months, French people have been protesting. They've been protesting Macron's pension reforms. He has rammed through a law that raises France's retirement age from 62 to 64. The people are not happy about this. Violent clashes keep erupting between the police and the protesters. Strikes in every sector of the economy. Garbage being lined up across Paris. Could this trip to China have been a way for Macron to appear like a global statesman? Is that why he's championing European strategic autonomy? as a way to avoid his domestic embarrassments. Macron's China trip makes him seem more grandiose than what his political realities suggest. But will the world really buy it? Whatever the French president's motives, China seems happy. And the US will have to start keeping an eye on its allies in Paris. In Paris and the rest of Europe, the this is a very strategic play that China is making. China is trying to drive a wedge between the United States and Europe. And this is the Uyu between the United States and Europe. And it seems like it may be succeeding because the formula that China is presenting to Macron and thus to the rest of Europe is hey, we're going to be going to war with the United States over Taiwan. Do you really want a piece of that? Or how about if we come in and rescue your economies? France, you have a disaster at home. How would you like it if we came in and maybe helped you? We could, we could help by giving you some intel on your opposition. I'm sure the Chinese spying apparatus would be thrilled to inform Macron about how to best his adversaries and quell his population at home. And I'm sure Macron would love that. And then to boost his economy. Essentially, what China is offering Europe is the sweetheart deal that America has had. They're going to get goods and services and, and debt support from China. China's going to cut us off and replace us. Nah, well, they can't replace us entirely with Europe, but they're going to replace us in the aggregate. America thinks that we're safe because China can't do without our market. It can't kill us entirely. But I think China's got a different calculation. So Macron is there. And this got me thinking. 
about what McCarthy was really doing with the president of Taiwan. And, and I began to wonder, is it possible that with the timing of that, that really what McCarthy was doing was baiting the CCP, baiting them to intimidate Taiwan in that exact moment when, when Xi is on the world stage acting like a statesman who's only interested in peace and tranquility and justice and, uh, and, and, and business, um, that, that uh, they want stability and the United States is the agent of chaos. And yet then right on the heels of that, at, r- literally as Macron's airplane is leaving Chinese airspace, they launched the three days of drills against Taiwan, basically a blockade of Taiwan. There was even, you heard in the first report from ANC, uh, they fired on the island. There was one, there was one shot that came off of one of the boats. So it, it, I think that it's possible McCarthy baited G and G took the bait hook, line and sinker. And I think it was, it was damaging for G to respond the way that he did. Had he had a calmer head, it's possible he might have a smoother uh, lane to support uh, from Europe. But everybody keep your eye on this. We're going to find out if the Europe, who we have spent our money defending with, an, with a, a military umbrella for 70 years, are they going to be in our corner when it comes to Taiwan? If, if the CCP attacks Taiwan, what are they going to do? It'll be interesting to see. And I have uh, I have a report from something called, uh, this is called the Caspian Report. This is going to explain to you, uh, this is just a taste of how disadvantaged we are going into this new Cold War, maybe hot war. Uh, but conflict with China, they have maybe an insurmountable lead over us. Listen to this. This is just this is just one region. This is South America. This is the Uyuni Salt Flats, home to the world's largest lithium mineral deposits. It is part of the lithium triangle that sits between Bolivia, Chile, and Argentina. The area accounts for 70% of the global lithium reserves, and while it looks serene now, it will be stripped to the bone in the near future. Lithium is a crucial material in the transition to renewable energy technologies. Some of the biggest investors in the lithium triangle are Chinese companies. They have substantial stakes, but that is only the tip of the iceberg. Zooming out from the map, and China's footprint is everywhere from financial assistance to construction projects to space-based surveillance. Beijing is opening up new avenues rapidly. As of 2020, China's total trade with South America sits at $307 billion, while that of the United States is $156 billion. China's numbers have grown 26-fold over the last two decades and are expected to reach $700 billion by 2035. This trend hammers home how the United States has lost ground in a region long seen as its backyard. 
and while for the longest time South America was out of sight, out of mind, now that China gazes at the continent, slowly making its own, the world takes notice. Beijing has an agnostic viewpoint. It doesn't care how others handle things within their country, it certainly doesn't care if they're authoritarian or democratic. It just wants to do business. And business has been good. Today, China is South America's largest trading partner. In Chile, trade with China makes up 34% of the total trade. This is followed by 28% in Brazil and Peru, 20% in Uruguay, 19% in Ecuador, 18% in Colombia and Paraguay, and 14% in Bolivia and Argentina. China's leading partner, however, is Venezuela. It serves as a beachfront for Chinese investors. Caracas has taken 17 loans, totaling an amount of $62 billion. In recent years, China has shifted its focus to logistics and tech. For instance, in 2017, Chinese conglomerate CMPC purchased 90% of Paranagua port, the largest commercial port in the country. While in 2021, Huawei, Hikvision and ZTE provided surveillance tools with facial recognition capabilities to the most populous city in Brazil, Sao Paulo. To the south is the Despacio de Hana station in Neuquén, Argentina. The station is part of China's deep space network that is used for interplanetary spacecraft missions. From this base, China is able to conduct aerospace surveillance and intercept long-range signals. Up north sits the El Sombrero space base in Venezuela. From here, China has launched satellites into orbit trajectories that are otherwise unreachable from its mainland. Plus, since 2005, China has built a series of ground control stations on site which keep track of the thousands of satellites and objects in Earth's orbit. China has a total of 11 ground control bases spread across South America. Their exact missions or capabilities are unknown. The facilities likely have both science and military goals at heart. America's response to all these developments so far has been tepid at best. Part of the reason is ideology. American public opinion is less passionate about free trade than it once was. Plus, the United States inherently opposes left-leaning socialist governments. It makes for complicated politics in the US Senate. As luck would have it, much of South America is made up precisely of those left-leaning socialist governments. And seen from their angle, working with the United States is difficult to reconcile politically. So, with no way to sway public opinion, the Americans have chosen to step back from South American affairs. Instead, they look at things from a distance, believing that time and circumstances will change and that China will make a careless mistake. Synthesizing the key points, Washington clings to the notion of American exceptionalism, convinced that its Monroe Doctrine will prevail much like a captain who believes his vessel to be unsinkable. That is a scary analogy, but probably accurate. Either way, I mean, it's a, it's a bleak picture. We're certainly, I, I went on chat GPT just for, just for giggles because I wanted to see 
uh, I went to ask a couple of questions. I said, who is South Africa's largest trading partner? South Africa's largest trading partner is China. In recent years, China has surpassed other countries as such as the United States, Germany, and the United Kingdom to become South Africa's largest trading partner. Huh. Who is Australia's largest trading partner? Australia's largest trading partner is China. China accounts for a significant portion of Australia's trade. Hmm. I asked who is Canada and who is Mexico, and for now, that's still the United States. Until it isn't. Uh, what other major countries have China as their largest trading partner? Uh, Brazil, Japan, South Korea, Malaysia, Indonesia. So, and, uh, where do we think this is going? China is everybody's largest trading partner. People are not going to just jump on the American bandwagon to confront China. People weren't on our side because they shared our ideals. They were on our side because we were the biggest dog on the block. And we are no longer the biggest dog on the block. But we are about to pick a gigantic fight with the biggest dog on the block. Because what do you do when you can't compete? Well, there's always World War III. Here's a clip from Fox News uh, who took comments from House Foreign Affairs Chairman Michael McCall. This, listen to this and tell me we are not intentionally attempting to drive into war with China. I think we're trying to provoke China to attack Taiwan so that we can be in a full war with them. Listen to this. Speaker McCarthy and yourself have said that multiple times now, that we need to arm Taiwan now before there's any sort of invasion. What about U.S. troops? I think, you know, then you're talking about um, an authorized use of military force that would come out of my committee or a declaration of war, which we haven't utilized since World War II. Would you support that? I think if, uh, if, if China, Communist China, invades Taiwan, uh, I think that is um, certainly if the American people support this, uh, the Congress will follow. Now, this is very different than what we heard right before uh, the war on Ukraine, when lawmakers were very adamant that there would absolutely be no U.S. troops, no boots on the ground. Now we're learning that this is very much a possibility when it comes to Taiwan. In my exclusive interview with Chairman uh, McCall, he tells me that sending American men and women to war is the last resort. Conflict is the last resort. Deterrence is key here, but authorizing war powers is not out of the question. So you're saying that the option to authorize war powers is on the table? If Communist China invaded Taiwan, it would certainly be uh, on the table and, and something that would be discussed by Congress uh, and with the American people. Are they prepared to do this? Is Taiwan worth it? Uh, I can argue for a lot of reasons why it is. Ladies and gentlemen, that is what it looks like when the United States is attempting to provoke China into war. And I think it's because we know we can't compete with them. It's over. That ship has sailed. So the only Hail Mary we have left is to engage in a war with them. Now, 
Let's ask the bigger question. What would you rather do? Lose to China and have them control the world or take your chances on a war with them? I don't have the answer to that question, but I think that is the calculus. That might be the calculation. And it might be what we all have to ask ourselves. Uh, moving on. This is, by the way, that's where Jeremy would have interesting things to say. And probably uh, change my opinion on this or that. But, uh, well, he's, we're going to have to wait for him to write in. Jeremy, you're going to have to write in to truth at truthbait.com and let us know what you think of today's analysis. Uh, now I'm going to move on to the Louisville uh, bank shooter. This just happened uh, a couple days ago uh, or yesterday. And, um, well... I'm, I'm not going to play a ton. I don't want to get into too much analysis. Uh, everybody else is doing that. There's not enough information yet. And uh, really what I'm able to do, I think, with a level of competency that I'm comfortable sharing with other people is taking a look at the media reaction. And I'm just going to play four clips that are an excellent example of what I like to call truth by omission. And that is where you can discern certain elements about the story based on what the mainstream media is not telling you. And uh, here's NBC. Good evening and welcome, everyone. It seems we can barely catch our breaths or dry the tears before another mass shooting rocks an American city. Just two weeks ago, I stood right here reporting the heartbreaking details of a school shooting in Nashville. Today, that happened at a bank in Louisville, Kentucky. Maggie Vespa is in Louisville tonight and has late details. Tonight, chaos and carnage gripping another American city. Let's be clear about what this was. This was an evil act of targeted violence. The familiar terror unfolding in downtown Louisville, Kentucky. Around 8.30 this morning, police say a lone gunman opened fire inside this old national bank, killing four and wounding nine. This was terrifying. It was terrifying. Officers on the scene within three minutes. Investigators say this was not a random act. White male who was employed at Old National Bank. His weapon of choice was a rifle. Authorities identifying the shooter as Connor Sturgeon, who died at the scene in a shootout with police. He live streamed the rampage, according to investigators, who late today executed a search warrant on his home. Maggie, any more details on a possible motive here? So, Lester, according to two senior officials, authorities are investigating this as an instance of workplace violence, noting the suspect who was an employee at that bank may have suffered from mental health issues and adding they expect much more to come out in the coming days. And in that report, uh, didn't notice much about the much background information about the shooter other than the color of his skin and CBS uh, has coverage as well. We begin our report with another city shattered by a gunman. That man, police say, was a 23-year-old employee at the bank where he carried out the massacre. At least four others are dead beside the gunman and nine are injured, two of whom are police officers. This incident adds to the devastating statistics about violence in the nation. Now, that is a very interesting uh, tactic that 
CBS has done that NBC did not do. CBS immediately shifted. As soon as they were done giving the bare minimum about the shooter and the attack, they immediately moved to the wider narrative of the greater statistics and how this fits into the greater statistics. It's it's a way of uh, not having to deal with uncomfortable elements in the narrative that they would rather not deal with. So they have to steer it in a, in a better direction for themselves. Officers. This incident adds to the devastating statistics about violence in the nation. According to Gun Violence Archive, an independent research and data collection organization, Monday's attack in Louisville, Kentucky, was the 146th mass shooting of the year. Tonight, SWAT teams and investigators are at the suspect's home searching for a motive. He's texted a friend, called a friend, left a voicemail. He's going to kill everyone at the bank, feeling suicidal. Roxana Saberi joins me now from Louisville, Kentucky. Roxana, what have you been seeing? And I hear there's some latest information. Yeah, that latest piece of information we have is that police have said that the gunman used an AR-15 style rifle. And Roxana, what do we know about motive? Well, the police have not given a motive yet, but they have said that the gunman was a bank employee. According to his LinkedIn page, he was an intern at the old National Bank for three summers in a row. He graduated from the University of Alabama with an advanced degree and became an employee in 2021. And also of note, John, the police said he live streamed some of the shooting on social media. Okay. Roxana Saberi in Louisville, Kentucky. Thank you so much. So that uh, left a lot out in terms of the details of our shooter. And they're talking about it uh, as though they don't know. She says this, that reporter said something very interesting that stuck out to me. She said, the police haven't released a motive yet. You're a reporter. Go digging. You're just sitting there waiting for official reports. I can get the official reports on the website from the police department. I don't need you to give me the official report. Go dig. Why don't you see if you can find some details? Are there are there any details? There are details. Let's see. Does ABC get to them? But first, today's shooting is at least the 146th mass shooting in America so far this year. No, they get right to the stats. <laughs> they don't even cover the news of the event. They get right to the stats. Trevor All leads us off tonight from Louisville. Tonight, authorities in Louisville, Kentucky, say an employee of Old National Bank came to work this morning armed with a rifle, opening fire and live streaming the attack. Police naming the gunman 25-year-old Connor Sturgeon, saying he was killed in the shootout with authorities. Late today, law enforcement descending on what's believed to be his home. Sturgeon's LinkedIn profile shows he worked full-time at the bank for more than a year and had interned before that. But sources tell ABC News he was recently given notice he was going to be fired, and he left a note to his parents and friends indicating he planned to shoot up the bank. This mass shooting is at least the 15th in the country this month. It comes just two weeks after a former student killed three children and three adults at a Christian elementary school in Nashville. So they've really created the narrative a very basic narrative that this guy is a disgruntled bank worker and went and killed his former uh, co-employees. And maybe that is the case, but you still have to ask the question, well, what, 
what what informed this guy what made him what he is what's he reading what's he listening to what's he involved in what's he about because those are the questions that help you understand what makes one of these ticking time bombs so that you can maybe hopefully prevent the next one but all they're interested in is narrative shaping. Tucker Carlson, uh, his uh, report that was filed in his show, actually got it a tiny bit of truth to their credit. Sturgeon had no criminal history. His LinkedIn page uses the pronouns he, him. And the Daily Beast reports that in college he supported Black Lives Matter and did not support former President Trump. He also wrote about his low self-esteem and emotional struggles. Interesting that his former high school basketball teammates noted that Sturgeon suffered so many concussions in high school that he wore a helmet to play high school basketball. Wow, that's amazing. Somehow Fox News managed to get news out in a quarter of the time of these other of these other news outlets. You just learned more about this guy and You'll never hear any of that on NBC. You'll never hear any of that on CBS. You will not hear any of that on ABC. On ABC. Frankly, I'm shocked that it's on Fox, but there it is. Uh, I have to give them credit where credit is due. The, so, yeah, I mean, that's uh, this guy is another... <sighs> he's enjoyed a steady diet of resentment and uh either he i guarantee you somewhere in his life he was cast in the role of either the oppressor or the oppressed and eventually you add that uh, the system knocked down his bank and he was getting laid off yeah i think that you might want to begin looking at how our national narratives, our culture is feeding into this problem. You can get rid of every gun on the planet, uh, and you're still going to have a problem if this is our culture. Ladies and gentlemen, we've arrived at that point in the show in record time, 39 minutes. That point in the show where I get to tell you about how we do business here. You may have noticed that we do not have any sponsors, and that is not because we can't attract any sponsors. It is because we refuse to accept any corporate sponsorship. That's right. We only have citizen sponsorship. Our listeners, our producers, that is what our listeners are. They are our producers because you are the people who help make this show what it is. Uh, uh, we can't do this show the way we want to do it if we take corporate sponsorship. We will not be able to tell you uh, that that we think elections are stolen. We won't be able to tell you that we think that this that the COVID vaccine is a uh, a poison pill. We won't be able to tell you the truth on a whole host of issues if we're more concerned about our corporate sponsorship because. You know, corporate sponsors, it isn't even so much that they're ideological, although some of them are, but what they really are is risk averse and they don't want controversy. And uh, the type of programming, the type of content we deliver is considered, it shouldn't be, but it is considered controversial because um, 
Well, in a land of lies, telling the truth is radical. And so uh, the Truth Bait podcast cannot, cannot work with corporate sponsorship. It only works with our citizen sponsor producers. And it's called the value for value model. The way that it works is if you think that uh, that we have given you value with our show, with this analysis, with these stories, then we ask that you return value to the podcast so that we can keep doing this. We cannot do it without the support of our listener citizen sponsor producers. Uh, uh, and there are multiple ways to give back to this program. There's time, there's talent, and there's treasure. Time, that is, you know, uh, it takes a very long time to find these clips. I have had, I uh, I want to really reach, I want to I want to specifically say thank you to Big D and AZ, among others, who have been sending me content. I haven't been able to use everything they've sent, but it is so helpful to have people sending me content because so much of what I'm doing is searching for content. Uh, uh, so uh, sending content, sending clips. Hey, I saw this, and don't just send a, a half-hour clip. If you send me a half-hour clip, please send me a note on, on where exactly you want me to look and why so that I can get to it. Otherwise, I, I, it's going to be a while before I can get to it if, if I have to devote a, a tremendous amount of time because I'm already devoting a tremendous amount of time, which is why sending those clips is incredibly uh, helpful. I'm very grateful when you do it. Uh, please keep doing that. You can also send us segment ideas. Hey, you've got to cover this story or, hey, please, can you pay attention to this? Or, you know, let us give us feedback. Let us know, you know, you covered that story. You totally did it wrong. Or you covered that story. And I'm so glad you did. I hadn't heard that anywhere else. And, and you really made me think. That's the kind of feedback we can really use. And another way to give feedback is wherever you're listening to this podcast, if you have the ability to rate the podcast, leave a comment on, on that system, if it's Apple, if it's wherever you are. If you have the capacity to rate the podcast, please give it five stars. Even if you think it's only worth three stars, I think you should, even though this is the Truth Bait podcast, you should suspend the truth and give it five stars anyway uh, and, and, and leave a comment. We do see those comments when you leave them on your podcasting platforms. And then feel free to write us at truth at truthbait.com, truth at truthbait.com. And uh, uh, let us know that you left a comment. Tell us to go see it. Make sure we see it. And... Uh, uh, the, uh, the last way to be able to help the podcast is financially. Oh, oh, no, I tried to play a sound effect and I blew it, which happens all the time. There you go. That's right. Financially. And we still do not have a mechanism set up for this, but we will soon. You will be able to send a uh, check or money order or cash uh, to a post office box. I don't recommend sending cash, but I don't want to dissuade anybody. Uh, we will hopefully be able to take Stripe payments and uh, we may include PayPal, although I think we're, we're talking about not including PayPal. Maybe let us know whether or not you think we should uh, or should not. And uh, maybe we can even accept Bitcoin. But, uh, oh, and I had a, I, I wish Jeremy was here because I had a whole theory that Bitcoin is an op designed to condition the American population to digital currency. It could, is that possible? What do you think? Do you think that's possible? Am I just getting my tinfoil hat on a little too tight? Well... All right, I'm gonna, let's go to the last bit that I have here, which is the North Carolina state rep who flipped. Uh, this is Rep. Tricia Cotham. And she, uh, 
ran as a Democrat. She's in her first term. It's a two-year term. And she, early in the term, has flipped to Republican. Let's go ahead and give her give her a listen. Uh, uh, well, here, actually, let me read you from the Washington Post first. North Carolina State Rep. Tricia Cotham announced Wednesday she is switching parties, giving Republicans the supermajority needed to override vetoes from Democratic Governor Roy Cooper. Cotham's unexplained move comes during a time of political tension in the hotly contested swing state where both chambers of the General Assembly are Republican-controlled, even as Dem- a Democrat holds the governorship. Uh, well, her, her, it's not unexplained. She, she explains it. I have that, that clip coming up uh, next. But uh, this was devastating for the left, as you'll hear in their reaction. But here first, let's listen to State Representative Tricia Cotham. As long as I have been a Democrat, the Democrats have tried to be a big tent. But this now where we are, modern day Democratic Party, has become unrecognizable to me and to so many others throughout this state and this country. The party wants to villainize anyone who has free thought, free judgment, has solutions, who wants to get to work to better our state, not just sit in a meeting and have a workshop after a workshop, but really work with individuals to get things done, because that's what real public servants do. If you don't do exactly what the Democrats want you to do, they will try to bully you. They will try to cast you aside. I saw that when I first filed for office and was told, why didn't you ask for our permission? I didn't think I needed to do that as a female. And quite frankly, I was offended. That struck me as odd that she felt entitled as a female. Now, and that sounds wrong. I, I don't mean entitled like she didn't have to ask permission. She shouldn't have to ask permission. What's interesting is that she felt that she didn't have to ask permission because she's a woman. Like that that just being a woman entitled her to her position. The fact that you're an American is what entitles you to your position. Not that you're a woman, but anyway, that's small. I just, it, it, it leapt out at me, so I thought I would comment on it. I've suffered many attacks since I've been up here from Democrats in the party, from blasting me on Twitter to calling me names, to going after my family, going after my children. That is wrong. And I will not stand for that. I will not be bullied by them. And I will protect my children and my family. Um, I am proud to be an American. I am proud of our country. I'm proud of the men and women in my family who have served. To say that that is wrong and not to be able to show off a flag because the others hijack it for something else. Why are we at this place in politics? That is really unacceptable and needs to change. When did Democrats become so afraid of independent thought? Because they're definitely not encouraging it at all. I can tell you that it happened well before you ran as a Democrat. Perhaps they don't like what they can't control. 
because they have a tendency, even though they say they're the party of women, they certainly will slice and dice you in a second with malicious, vicious, untrue rumors and do not celebrate your success. Well, she's right about that. So I'm glad she, I guess, came to her senses better late than never. And certainly handing the, the, the right a big uh, victory, it would seem. Although maybe you never know, maybe somebody on the right will now flip. I would bet you there's moderates in both parties in that house. Uh, we'll see. Um, yeah, the reaction from the left was uh, apoplectic. This is from WRAL, who does not identify the first person in this clip. Uh, the second person identifies themselves. But this first person, she must be something to do with the party or some kind of an organizer. Representative Cotham's decision to switch parties is a deceit of the highest order. It is a betrayal to the people of Mecklenburg County with repercussions not only for the people of her district, but for the entire state of North Carolina. It's treason. It's a betrayal of the highest order. Okay. Reproductive freedoms are on the line. Our public schools are on the line. LGBTQ rights are on the line. Voting rights are on the line. Our future as a state is on the line. And this is how they do it. Everything is on the line. She has betrayed everything that that is held dear by decent people. They, They build the stakes into life and death for everything. And then you wonder why people pop off and go shooting people or go crazy in other ways. Yes. And I have to say about all of this, this is about the issues. It's not about the politics of this. It is about the issues that impact our friends, our families, our neighbors, our loved ones, the people that matter to us in this state, the state that we care about right now. The state that we care about right now. (laughs) Listen Listen to that end again, because... It just seemed, something seemed very strange about it here. Let's, let me see. It is about the issues that impact our friends, our families, our neighbors, our loved ones, the people that matter to us in this state. The people that matter to us in this state. The implication is that there's a whole bunch of people that don't matter to them in this, in this state. State that we care about right now. And the state that we care about right now. What does that mean? It's very strange. Uh, here's the second speaker at this at this rant. Hi, I'm Cameron Pruitt. I have the honor of representing the LGBTQ Democrats of Mecklenburg County. And I got to say, it's a disgrace when Representative Cotham used our votes, our dollars, our door knocking, and then today stands next to Congressman Dan Bishop, who is no friend of the LGBTQ community, the author of HB2 that cost us lives and jobs and talent. It cost lives. This is why people are nuts. They're being constantly fed the line that that politics that doesn't go their way is life or death, and it's their death. That's why they feel justified in their violence against people they disagree with. Her voters deserve to know right now, will she protect trans kids or will she continue to use her their sticker on her Twitter and go to places and show up? I knew there was a problem. We invited Trisha Cotham to the Human Rights Campaign Dinner just a few weeks ago and she did not show up. Is this a premeditated mood? How long has she known? Her voters deserve 
to know. So they're furious. Meanwhile, also from the Washington Post article buried towards the very end is this paragraph. Cotham has a liberal record on some major issues, including abortion rights and state assistance programs. But one issue where she may stray from her former Democratic colleagues is school choice. Recent social media posts show her support for parents opting to use vouchers and send their children to schools outside their public school district, a stance normally held by Republicans. Well, A, that's not true. Barack Obama was pro-school choice. Uh, he was pro, uh, pro-charter pro schools. Maybe he wasn't pro-school choice. He was pro-charter schools, though. Um, there's a lot of crossover in the charter uh, and the school choice uh, uh, community and the, the narrative the debate in the school choice debate. Uh, and uh, Jeremy's got opinions on that that uh, surprised me, but he may be right. He usually is. Uh, but I, I, it seems very interesting to me. I know that the, the people on the right always fawn over somebody from the left who defects and comes over to the right. And, you know, maybe on one level it is something to celebrate, but let's just, you know, maybe let's just wait a second and think about this. Uh, the, the It'll be interesting to see how long the agreement lasts, how long she remains a Republican, or maybe she'll move to independent. I don't know. I don't know how in North Carolina she's going to be a pro-life, I'm sorry, a pro-choice Republican, uh, but we'll see. Uh, and that is all that I am going to cover today. I have a lot of other stuff, but it can all keep. I just thought that this stuff, A, I spent a lot of time putting this stuff together, and I didn't think that it would keep until Friday. Everything else, everything else will keep. I have a Matt Walsh segment that I held over from the last episode, but it'll keep. I have stuff on the Pentagon leak, but I'm not going to cover the Pentagon leak without Jeremy Siegel, that's for sure. And I know that that story will continue and will certainly be alive and well on Friday. So join us on Friday when hopefully my co-host Jeremy Siegel will be with me on the Truth Bait Podcast. We come to you every Tuesday and every Friday, almost without fail, to the best of our ability. Thank you for listening to this abbreviated episode of the Truth Bait Podcast. And now back into the sea of clickbait with you all.